series on uh, the life of Hagar or Hagar in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Hagar is kind of seen as, well, people will, will look at her as kind of like the collateral damage of the Bible. Because normally she's seen in light of the consequences of Abraham and Sarah's kind of lack of faith. But yet we can actually learn a lot from the life of Hagar regarding particularly God's heart for those who are discarded, um, for those who are forgotten, for those who the world says uh, really don't matter or quote, don't matter in this world. And one of the, the highlights of the narrative of the life of Hagar is the introduction of this important name of God, Elroy, the God who sees me. And we'll, we'll understand more about that as we look at uh, what the Bible has to say about her life. So I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, verse one. Genesis chapter 16, verse one. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? Let's stand together. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne to him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar uh, Ab- took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went, into, went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a, stream, uh, by a spring of water in the wilderness and on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to her mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in this passage, we're going to see that God is a God who sees and hears the forgotten and the unwanted in this world, that God gives special attention to those that the world does not give notice, that God blesses those who look to him no matter what station they are in life. See, this passage needs to be seen in in kind of the larger context. The main characters throughout the latter half of Genesis are indeed Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah and their descendants. And the theme of Genesis, of this part of Genesis, is about God's faithfulness to his promise that Abraham and Sarah will not only have a child, but that they will be uh, the, the, the parents of the nation of Israel. 
And so here in Genesis 16, we see the first kind of major obstacle to God's promise, and that is that Sarah is barren. She's unable to have children. So this kind of sets the main struggle. Will God, the question is, will God actually fulfill uh, this promise that Abraham is indeed going to be the father of a great nation? And will Abraham continue to trust God? that God indeed will fulfill his promise. And so in verse one, it says, now, Abram, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and so she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, in this chapter, um, the writer focuses on, on the life of Hagar and the part that she actually plays in the sovereign plan of God. And so the question is, who actually is Hagar? Now, we know that Hagar, she's an Egyptian servant. She's probably brought into service, meaning literally she was sold into service when Abraham visited or went down or fled to Egypt uh, during the famine. And so apparently she joined them as they left and went back to the promised land. Now, there's a few things we want to notice about uh, Hagar. First of all, she's an Egyptian, meaning she's outside, she's an outsider, that while they're traveling, she knows that she doesn't belong with this group. This group is a family, you know, Lot and his family, Abram and his family, and, they're, and, 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 and uh, Hagar is um, outside of that, outside of God's blessing. She's also a slave, which means she has a low station. She has low control over her life, actually maybe no control over her life. She, it was not her choice to come with Abram. Most likely, it's not, do you want to be a servant and come with us and be our slave? You know, that's not, it's not her choice. Uh, she most likely, this is just what happened to her. And even the things that happens to her now, this is not her choice. These are things that other people have decided and the consequences are now upon her. And so we keep these things in mind as we go forward. In verse 2, Sarai says to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go to my servant, that it may be that I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now Sarai's solution uh, may sound really weird to us. But in Near Eastern culture, this was actually a very common uh, social custom that, in fact, it was not just permitted, but uh, lineage was so important that it was actually prescri prescribed that if you weren't able to have children, that you would find a way to have children through someone else so that your line and your family inheritance will continue to remain safely in within your family. And so, though this was customarily acceptable within the custom and tradition, this was not morally acceptable. It was in disobedience to the will of God because God promised them that they would have a child. And if you look at Sarah's words, she says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So we see here that in fact, um, Sarah, is, Sarah is kind of blaming God, saying it's God's fault. He promised me and God is not letting me fulfill his promise. And then it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now again, if we talked about the marriage conferences, Husbands, listen to your wives. That's very important. Listen to the voice of your wife and the wisdom of her, that, that, of her counsel. But here in this case, these words are put in contrast to the words, and Abram listened to the voice of God. 
So whenever uh, uh, God commanded Abram to do certain things, this is Abram listened to the voice of God. He listened to the voice of God. He did this, he did that. So that was representative of, of, of Abram following God's will. And in this case, it's the first case where, where it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And here's the first time where he's not listening to the voice of God. And so it's really clear here that this action is wrong. It is in violation of God's moral law. It is in rebellion against God's plan. It is an expression of a lack of faith. And so here we come to really the first spiritual principle regarding Hagar, and that is that oftentimes, oftentimes, our disobedience has consequences on the lives of others. Okay, when we disobey God, when we don't honor his word and we go our own way, it's not just us who suffer. Others around us will suffer as well. When individuals rebel against God's commands, the consequences, often the consequences of their sin can hurt people around them. For example, uh, when children, when children disobey, when you disobey your parents, it has consequences to everyone in the household, okay? I mean, we could go on with this forever because we're parents, some of us who are parents here, we could say, oh, I can name a lot of things. It can cause parents to become angry. It can cause parents to become impatient. It can cause your parents to be hurtful. It can cause your parents to, to yell at your pet. It can cause parents to be angry at each other. It can cause your sibling to be frustrated or your sibling to be jealous or your sibling to even model your rebellious behavior maybe in a worse way or a worse manner in their lives because you don't know what your disobedience and what your rebellion will be seen and how it'll be interpreted in the life of somebody else in your household. Uh, maybe they're a younger sibling and they're looking up to you as a model and they see you disobeying or being very angry at your parents and they will interpret it in their mind a certain way and, and, they're dis and then our disobedience affects other people, affects them. And so we see that this sin, fathers, husbands, when you, when you love your job, when you love your career more than your, your wife, or you love your ambition, you give more to your ambition than to your wife and to your family, your sin affects the whole family. It has consequences, not just on you, on your wife, on your children, on your children's marriages, on your children's careers, and how they perceive work and what they do uh, uh, for their ambitions and things like that. Wives, when you dishonor your husbands, it's not just a sin that affects you. It can cause bitterness in the husband's soul. It can cause your husband to choose not to be the leader that God calls him to be. It can work itself out in so many different hurtful ways. It can affect how your children will treat their spouse, their husband, when they grow up. When we lie to others, we not only are, again, feeling the consequences of our sin, we are passing those consequences to other people because they are now living part of their lives according to a lie that you have told them. And who knows what type of consequences now are going to go on in their lives because they're living according to a lie that we have told them that we think is just for our sake to save us, to help us, to keep us out of trouble or whatever, but that lie now is in their life. Now they think that this is truth. Now they're living according, in a sense, according to this lie. Consequences 
of our sin now go into the life of another person. Uh, when we gossip, when we slander someone, what we are doing is we are multiplying our anger in the life of another person. And we're, we're now bringing our anger and transferring it to another person. And we may say, well, I, I can control my anger, but we don't know about them, what they will do with that anger. Maybe they will hurt someone else. Maybe they will spread it to another person who will really hurt someone else. And, and that anger can continue, or that slander, or that gossip can continue to spread and, and hurt many other people. And so um, uh, these things can go on and on. It's really, really clear. This principle is so clear. God's instructions are not just given for our own good. They're given for the blessing of others. When we, when we allow Satan, when we break God's laws and we allow Satan to have a foothold, not just in our lives, we begin to allow Satan to have a foothold in the lives of others, the lives of our families, the lives of our friends, the life of our church. And we look at the whole tragedy or the whole struggle of the foster care system. And the whole need for the foster care system is a direct consequence of the sins of others. Isn't that right? It's not those children's fault. It's not that these children were terrible kids and, and they deserve not to have parents or, or it's their fault that their parents, um, you know, got pregnant out of wedlock or that, that their parents uh, had, a, had a marriage filled with disharmony or their parents made poor choices. These children who are in foster care, they suffer the consequences of the sins of their parents of the sins of others. They're like Hagar, who are struggling because of other people and their poor decision-making. And we look at this and we say, sin, sin is horrible. Sin is horrible, it is a disease. That's why the Bible says that we should, we should hate sin. We should hate sin. We should hate sin with all of our hearts because we see children in our world who have no parents. That is a consequence of sin. We see children in our world who are born with HIV, who are born with drugs in their system because of the sin of others, the consequences of sin. And so we must hate Sin, that's what, that's what the life of, hey, that's the first thing that, that Hagar teaches us, the, the consequences of sin, that when we think about disobedience, when we think about God's commands and we, we wonder, you know, should I uh, disobey, should I do this, even though I know it's kind of disobeying God's command, we gotta think twice, we think three times. We don't think just about, okay, what are the, we think about the consequences of ourselves. Am I gonna get away with this? How's it gonna affect other, how's this gonna, you know, is it, am I gonna get caught, things like that? No, we think about, oh, our sin will not only have consequences on us, but so many others. And so we think very carefully about uh, the commandments of God. And this also, uh, the corollary to that, is that God gives us his commands not only for our good, but for the good around us. Can you imagine like a business that if everyone in that business 
honored God's command, put the needs of others above their own. You know, we were talking about all these businesses have their own culture, you know, the, the Google culture, the, 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 you know, the, the Apple culture, the, everyone has their culture within their, the workspace, and you go to that workspace, and, and, and it's almost like we were talking earlier, it's like a city, it's like their own village. And can you imagine a village or a business where everyone honored God's command to put the needs of others above your own? But what if that was the motto of, of a company and, and how that would change the culture of that company and how people would love to say, this is how I would love to work in this place. Can you imagine a school where, where the school would say, everyone in this school is going to carry one another's burdens, that we're not going to let people suffer, that we're going to help and care for each other and put you know, our needs above, our own, above others' needs above our own. And, and that's the school. That's what every student, before they accept them in there, that's the mentality. That's what all the teachers are going to do. That's what the principal does. That's what everyone in that school, the moment they walk into that school, that's what the culture is going to be. Can you imagine what type of school that would be? Uh, if a nation, if everyone in that nation said, we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, what kind of nation that would be? Pastor Dave last week challenged us. He said, can you imagine what it would mean for a community if there was a church in that community that loved and accepted and cared for those that are hurting, that are discarded, that are rejected from this world? What if a community can come and into a church and see that type of love of Jesus Christ throughout the church? What a powerful, uh, uh, what a powerful, not just a powerful statement, what a powerful blessing that would be. And how the gospel of Jesus Christ would move throughout that community, if they see a church whose whole culture, whose everyone has this sense of, 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 of doing the things that God wants us to do, that when individuals strive to honor the commands of God, it becomes a blessing to everyone around them. That's what we can be when each one of us decide that we're going to really honor God in everything that we do, in everything that we say, it's not just, well, you know, I'm going to be good with God. It's going to be the whole, it's going to affect the whole church, everything about us. It's going to affect the whole community because they will see that type of love in, the, in this church and they'll be drawn to that. And so we think about that and we say, this is, this is what God is, is calling us to be. Now we go back to Genesis. We see that Hagar, again, she's a slave. She, um, she has nothing to do with what is going on here. And so in verse 5, uh, we see that Hagar gets pregnant. And it says that Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now again, this word contempt here, it's a, it's a light word. It's not like condemning things like that. It can be uh, just a, a very slight. It can be something just said, something sarcastic or whatever. It's not necessarily like condemning. So it's not saying that, that Hagar is this terrible person. Uh, but Abram and said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she, meaning Hagar, fled from her. And now we look at this and we say, um, Sarah now regrets the decision she made. And she says, may the wrong done to me 
you really look at this situation, who's the one who's doing wrong? And, and who is the one who is really being wronged here? And so the, when she says, the wrong done to me, it's so ironic. And then she even says, may the Lord judge between you and me. And that's a dangerous statement because you're saying, okay, let God judge the person who's wrong here. So she's actually saying, you know, she doesn't realize it, but she's saying, God should judge me. And that's why God's very merciful. And, 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 and for Abram, instead of acting justly by being an advocate for Hagar and Hagar's child, his child, he acquiesces to his wife and says, you just do whatever you, do whatever you want with her. And so, you know, you look at this situation and you say, man, if anybody should complain about what was wrong, how she was wronged, is Hagar. She was the one, she said, I don't want to be here. You could have just left me where I was. But you, the ones that brought me here, I didn't want this. I didn't want to become pregnant with somebody else's child. I don't want to go through labor and all this pain and suffering along with being a servant, along with being an outsider who's not going to be supported by anyone. I'm, she's just a victim of, again, uh, uh, the sins of others. No one to defend her. No one to call to champion her. No one even sees her. And in fact, for a lot of people reading this passage, you know, reading this part in scripture about Abram and Sarah, I mean, how many people even reading it think about Sarah, think about Hagar? I mean, honestly, when we read it, do we think about Hagar? We really don't. We think about Abram and Sarah, and we say, well, Abram and Sarah, terrible. We don't think about Hagar. But here's the thing that's really cool. This brings us to that next idea, that God sees Hagar. God is the one when nobody else sees her. When nobody in the, in the narrative sees her, when none of the readers see her or hear her, God is the one who sees her. Verse seven, this is the second main idea. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He says um, to her, where have you come from? Where are you going? And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel of the Lord says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for their multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, you'll be pregnant, you'll bear a son, you'll call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand shall be against everyone, and everyone's hand shall be against him. So it's going to be a rough life, but he, and he will dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she called on the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. You are El Roy. Again, we don't realize that this is where that name came from sometimes. This glorious and beautiful name of God came from her. And it says, truly, because you have seen him who, because I have seen him who looks after me, who sees me, who sees my affliction when nobody else Nobody else sees me. See, at this part, point, when Hagar, when Hagar is fleeing Sarah, um, based on the, the, the geography, she has probably traveled about 70 miles now. Okay, 70 miles, lone woman with her child, and this is wilderness. This is just like the Israelites traveling through the wilderness. She's trying to go back to Egypt, and she's a single mom with a child by herself. And it says, uh, an angel of the Lord 
meets her. And this is, again, a really interesting thing, and I didn't realize this, but this is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord is actually a big figure in the Old Testament. He is what we say sometimes a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, like an appearance of Jesus. It's possible it was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, or at least a sense of this is the commander, you know, a, a chief angel who comes and speaks the word of God, and the first time that he ever appears in scripture is to Hagar. Someone that we don't think about. And in a, in, a, in a very similar way to Abraham, God gives Hagar a command and a promise as well. He commands her to return to Sarah and submit to her, which is not an easy thing because he's saying, you, she's saying, I already traveled 70 miles out here. You're telling me to travel 70 miles back to a place where they're not going to be glad to see me and I'm still going to be mistreated. And you're asking me to do that, God. And God says, but if you do that, I promise you that you will be the parent of a nation. That's a blessing. And so she responds in faithful obedience and she names the child Ishmael. Ishmael is where it means God hears. And so he says, uh, God hears. God hears our cry. God hears our heart cry in the wilderness. Um, he says, your son shall be God hears. He is the God who is with you. And verse 13, she says, um, you are El Roy, meaning I have been seen by you. And so here we see this sense, God sees, God hears. That's the, the second point of this particular passage, that um, this is the wonderful name of God, and this is the circumstances upon which God uh, was given this particular name. Now, perhaps you are here this morning, and you feel like you're like Hagar. I feel like that sometimes. We all feel like that sometimes. We feel like a person who is crying in the wilderness. We feel like a person who is enduring consequences that may not even necessarily be of our own making. And we say, why God, why uh, is no one seeing me? Why does nobody care? Why is it that I'm in school and, and, and I'm not a bad kid and I'm not asking for trouble, but people just pick on me, people hurt me, people say things that are so unkind and, and I didn't deserve it. I'm not a mean person. I never said anything to them. I never did anything to them, but yet they're targeting me. Why? I don't deserve this and nobody helps me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody sticks up for me. Nobody thinks about how I feel when people say these things to me. They just laugh and nobody sees me. When you're at work and it's the same type of thing, it's just we're bigger and we say things in a more subtle way but we bully too and we say, you know, this person, why does this person have it out for me? Why is it that everything that I do and I do my best, they always find something wrong with it. They always find something bad. They always focus on that one mistake that I did and never think about the other, you know, the, the good job, the, the, the contributions that I have made for this project, but yet they always pick that one thing, that one mistake I made, and they keep bothering me and no one seems to understand, no one seems to care how important I am. In this, in this company. No one recognizes that. In our marriage, and this is tough, and we say, you know, why am I being treated 
this way. That as a husband, we say, you know, I just hold everything, we hold everything in and we say, you know, I'm hurting and, and no one understands me and no one is listening. And, and, and my guy friends, we go out and we go see a ball game, we see a movie, we talk about sports, but we never talk about how things are going because we're guys. We don't say those things. So nobody knows the hurts that I'm going through. Nobody knows how I feel and, and the things that, that I'm really struggling with, that I'm lonely, that I'm hurt. Or, or, or wives say, you know, I, I love my husband and I try to do my best to honor him, but it just seems like when he does things, when he says things, he doesn't think about me. He doesn't he can't connect to the things that I'm feeling. I try to say to him over and over again and, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand and, and I try to talk to others and they, their husbands are so caring and I just feel so alone. Nobody hears me. Maybe it's a health struggle, a, a sickness struggle and, and other people look at us and say, you know, just do this, just do that. It's okay, I tried this and they say, you don't understand how much, how hard it is to, to live with this pain all the time. Or, or the struggles that I'm going through. No one in church has this struggle. No one knows. And we just say, life is just so hard. You know, one thing after another, after another, and no one hears me. No one sees me. And this is where God says, I'm Elroy. That's my nickname. That's what people call me. Why? Because I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who sees you. I'm, I, this, this son Ishmael, it's gonna remind you, Hagar, that, that every time you look at your child, God hears you. God has heard you. Whenever you're struggling and suffering, God says, I will look after you personally. I will remind you every time you hear the word Ishmael, every time Ishmael does something wrong and you say, Ishmael, you'll remember, oh, that's the God who heard me in my struggles. And, and, and God says, I will look after you personally. I'll be the God who, who makes your well-being my responsibility. I'll be the one who brings blessing to you. I'll be the one who brings the reward for the suffering that you endure that nobody else will give to you. Uh, nobody else will give you uh, the, 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 the honor or the, the, the recognition for the things that you have done, but I will give you the recognition. I will give you the justice that you did not get. I will be the one who will give you the recompense for all the tears that you have wept and I will bring you to a place of rest and joy and you don't even have to explain it all to me because I have already seen and I have already heard and I know this is the God if you look after me I mean if, 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 if we believe and look to God and trust him this is our God. This is your God for whatever you are going through right now, whatever we are going through right now that you may never be able to share with somebody in this church. And there are some things maybe we will never be able to share, but God sees you, he hears you, he knows you, and he will not let you suffer without doing something about it, without bringing it and making it a blessing someday for you so that you will be a blessing to others. And we talked about that in our Life Bible class this morning. The final thing we see is that God blesses those who 
respond with faith and obedience. Now, this, this last point is very important. We don't want to forget this point because, see, faith is not a feeling. It's not, oh, you know, I believe God, I trust you, or an intention. Like, yeah, I, I, I want to believe, yeah, that you are a God who sees. Faith is actually lived out in obedience. Remember, um, God says to Hagar, he says, um, return to your mistress, submit to her. And I will surely multiply the offspring uh, that they cannot be uh, uh, numbered because of the multitude. He's saying, I'm going to give you a promise to bless you. But he gives something here. He says, you need to obey. You need to uh, trust me, believe that I am the God who sees. And the way to show that you really do believe is by honoring this command to go back to a place where Physically, it looks impossible. Like, how is this going to be a place where I'm going to be blessed? But yet you trust in God that God says, this is the way that we will come to blessing. This is the way that we will come to that reward. This is the way that we will come to that rest. Honor me, do these things. And Hagar did those things. And it says, Hagar then bore Abram a son. And Abram called uh, and called the name of the son who Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So when we look at this, we say, it's not just God will care for me whatever I do, uh, that he always bless me, I don't care, you know, I could do anything I want. No, there's, there's this idea of uh, there must be obedience and faith. Okay, it's not just God's just going to do everything for me and I just sit here and, and I can run my life crazy and I know God sees me and he'll always make things better for me. That, that's not what this passage is saying at all. Because, because, because Hagar had to go back and show, and she had to show her faith by her obedience to God. And so as we look at this short narrative, we see this contrast, which is very interesting, this contrast between Sarah and Hagar. And Hagar. First of all, Sarah, she looks at human ways, human means to uh, solve her problem, Right? And yet Hagar, she honors God's command by faith. She looks to, to God's commands. When, when Sarah um, uh, was upset, she blamed God. She said, God, it's your fault. God, you need to do something because you're not doing what you promised to do. You know, I did this. I went out, followed my husband because you promised him that this was going to happen. It's all your fault, God. That's why, you know, if God, you only did what you're supposed to do, I wouldn't be so, you know, wouldn't be this trouble. So God, you take care of it. That's not... That's not trust. Hagar, Hagar trusted God. And what happened? Sarah has to wait. Right? Sarah has to wait for her child. Hagar receives hers. And, and again, this is not just saying, you know, if you obey, you get what you want. What it's saying is that, uh, that, that, that obedience by faith is very, very important to, to God and his work of blessing in your life, in my life, in our lives together. How we obey, how we show our faith. We don't just say, I'm a, I believe in God, I love these names of God, I'm just gonna believe in it and be so happy, filled with happy thoughts. That's not the names of God. The names of God says, if you really believe in this and God asks you to do what is right, you do what is right, even if it's hard because you believe that this is the name of God, that this is what he will do. 
That's what this passage is speaking of. It's saying, you know, he's the God who sees. He's the God who hears. That this God who sees, that, that he is calling us to hate sin, we, that we understand the consequences of our sin. We look at the world around us. We see the consequences of our sin. We cannot think of it as a little thing. That we learn to hold firm in obedience and faith. That we really say that, that this is a part of, 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 of trusting God when he gives these promises. And then finally, there's this idea again that, that the God um, sees you. God hears you. He knows. This is who he is. It's his nickname. And so now the question, and, and, and we will leave this place, and maybe we will continue to leave this place with certain burdens, and maybe we may leave this place with certain hurts, because it's not like you come into a service and you listen to a message for 20, half an hour, and all of a sudden everything is great and God solved all our problems. No, we still have life. We still have to go back to that job. We still have to go back to that family. We still have to go back to that school. But as we go out now, we say, I'm going out knowing this name of God. And I know that God is going to ask me to act differently this week in my family, in my work, in my school, to trust him, to honor him, to obey him, because I know that he is the God who sees and who hears me. Let's go ahead and let's... let's Let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. And yeah, if you're here this morning and you, you are carrying a lot of burdens in your heart, you are carrying hurts that are hard to say,